Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery Interim Executive of Enzo Wartens, who's the CEO of Earner. Earner automates tax or side incomes and self-employed. Earner helps the customers spend less time on day-to-day admin and more, ta- more time on tasks that spark joy and generate revenue. Enzo Dhan is MBA from London Business School. A big thanks to Rob Tomini for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Enzo. Ah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, um, uh, you know, you have an interesting journey. You, you work with Metal, Bo, Loot, uh, and, and now you're building Earner. What, what got you into this world of uh, startups? Uh, so I used to be a consultant in a previous life uh, where I helped basically big retail banks uh, with new regulations. Uh, I enjoyed that, but was missing a little bit of like seeing the impact that my work can have on organizations uh, and started working with startups like on the side, just small uh, financial models, um, kind of giving a little bit of external advice. Uh, and really enjoyed that, thought this is what I want to do full-time, and uh, that was one of the reasons why I did my MBA, use that as a transition to then go into uh, the startup world. And during my MBA, I started working at Loot uh, part-time, really enjoyed it, and uh, joined there after graduating. Oh, interesting. And, and, uh, you you know, you work with Metal uh, and Bo. uh, What was was the experience uh, all about? Did it did it really help you to get into uh, get your feet into fintech? Uh, and you know, what what were some some of your learnings there? Yeah, so I I, I think my journey has been an interesting one. Um, so I think Loot was more a full kind of normal startup journey, um, and then Bow and Metal because they were challenger banks that are owned by RBS was maybe slightly different because it was like part startup, part corporate venture. Um, and you experience kind of this weird in-between, which is some parts of it are kind of working for big corporates. Some parts of it are very much uh, startup-like. Um, but yeah, it's kind of finding yourself in between. So uh, it's, it's a great opportunity before diving into starting my own business because um, I was able to get access to some amazing kind of senior leaders in uh, financial services, uh, I think an example like the CEO of, of Metal, uh, Marie Flamand, she's now the CEO of Near uh, Protocol in, based in Switzerland. And ha- being able to work with those really senior people is quite amazing. And I think you don't get that as often when you work at a small startup because you just don't have the funds to attract those kind of people. Mm. Um, and and obviously the good thing about also working at the likes of Bow Metal is that you, uh, you can see what happens when a startup has a little bit more money <laughs> Uh, than what they would have if you're kind of starting bootstrap or, uh, you know, slowly going through the different stages of the funding rounds. Got interesting. And, and what, what made you uh, start on a, uh, you know, what, what was the problem point that you saw, especially for, you know, self-employed inside income people? Yeah, so uh, alongside kind of working in fintech, I've also had many other uh, income streams. So I used to be a delivery rider for a little bit, delivering food. I rented out my car on Turo. I've uh, bought and sold sneakers on StockX. So my financial lives was maybe slightly more complicated than um, uh, the common 
person on the streets uh, and uh, kind of thought it was quite weird how much work it took me to stay on top of my tax and uh, uh, kind of financial requirements. Uh, I saw that there were a lot of banks out there that were helping with at least like giving yourself a, a new bank account to help organize your transactions, but saw that that often wasn't the right solution for um, people like myself because we often already have a bank account. Right. Uh, the problem is just that everything kind of sometimes bundles together and uh, it's very difficult to get a good overview of, of really where all the money's coming from and what you should be reporting on your tax return. Interesting. And, uh, and you know, you mentioned that uh, you've had a lot of uh, side income streams. Uh, interestingly, you, you went to B school and you worked as a management consultant. Uh, do, you, do you think going forward, you know, people would have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, side incomes and they would not have like, you know, obviously, you know, you, you're already seeing a lot of people are not, uh, uh, you know, working in a company for 10 years. But do you think people will have multiple sources of income and multiple side jobs? And and is it is it something which is, which is, uh, you know, legally okay for the company that you're working for. What, what are you? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, uh, I guess your example of the business school, right? There is the elusive uh, portfolio career <laughs> that uh, you don't just have your day job. You're maybe a non-executive director somewhere. Uh, you do some consulting works. I mean, even lots of business school professors are uh, consultants on the side. So uh, we learn it from them. Um, so I think that's maybe like a more you know, later on in your career, what you can be thinking of. But if you then look at the other end of the spectrum of, um, let's say, more Gen Z, and I think the later millennials, is they want a lot more freedom when they look at uh, what their career um, should look like. It's not working for the same uh, company, exactly like you said, for 10 years. You started seeing that with millennials, but you see that even more with um, Gen Z. Uh, they're a lot more active on platforms like Depop, um, selling their stuff online. You see loads of projects, obviously, in, in the crypto space, like NFTs. Those are often pushed by those kind of people that are looking for a different uh, uh, kind of career. So we see that that's going to become more and more popular, that people aren't going to just have one income stream. It's going to be a mix. And remote, is, remote work, uh, which is, again, generally more acceptable now after the uh, after the pandemic, is is only accelerating that. It's mm. getting easier and easier to do that. So some of our early customers were people that started an Etsy store because now they didn't have to spend two hours or three hours a day commuting. Mm. Uh, so they have that extra time to follow their passion, which is uh, something really cool. But you also have the growing sharing economy. Um, so people that are you know renting out different things on uh, on. Uh, Falama or Stashby. There's people that uh, are are kind of gig workers on the side. If you look at gig workers by itself, over 55% of them uh, are dual employed. So they're self-employed as well as employed. So this is just a trend that is going to continue growing. Very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, before uh, Enzo, you know, uh, which is, uh, which helps uh, people, uh, you know, file, file, uh, file attacks, how, how were self-employed people filing their taxes, especially when it comes to, uh, I've seen a lot, lot of uh, taxi drivers, you know, uh, uh, using uh, uh, themselves as side, side employed. Uh, what was the process earlier? Or still, what, what do people follow? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people still use accountants. I okay. think around two thirds of all people that are self-employed use an accountant. Um, okay. 
That is quite expensive. Uh, so an accountant in the UK, for, if you're self-employed, can cost anywhere between 500 and and £1,000 for something that is, uh, I would say, no, not the most complicated thing if you are well-trained and understand all the tax rules. Um, but obviously, a lot of self-employed individuals don't have time and are happy to uh, kind of outsource that. Um, the problem that we saw as well is that there's a lot of changes happening um, in the tax space. So um, starting from 2024, people that are self-employed need to do a quarterly tax return rather than yearly tax return. So that is almost like four times as much work. Uh, if you're still using an accountant, is that really sustainable? And uh, something you also need to consider is that there's still a very large uh, contingent of people that earn this extra income that don't report it. So around 50% of people that need to do a tax return in the UK don't do so. Uh, that is becoming more difficult as well. So companies like Uber and Airbnb are already reporting uh, all the people that are using their platform to HMRC. Oh, okay. Uh, very, very soon, you're going to see some of those people get fines if they don't do a self-assessment um, tax return on their own accord. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, and when it comes to you know the pricing strategy, what, what's the what's the price for people who would want to you know automate their taxes through Earnum? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's something we're still trying to figure out what the uh, best way to do in terms of pricing. Like a tax return product is really cyclical. Until we start doing quarterly tax returns, it's once a year. So people often uh, kind of think about it right before the tax return deadline. So yeah. in the UK, that's the 31st of January. Yeah. Uh, over 50% of people do it in January, yeah. <laughs> unsurprisingly. Um so they, it's like a very big need during a very short amount of time. And after that, you know, they don't really think about it. Mm. So we've been, you know, thinking about is like a subscription the right thing to do? So you have uh, products like QuickBooks uh, that is more of a subscription product where you right. charge it um, every month that people use alongside their accountant. Uh, you have kind of new tools like Tax Scouts where you just get charged for doing a self-assessment uh, or booking some time in with an accountant, and that's it. Uh, the way that we did it is is we're kind of trying out both. Okay. So we're uh, we're introducing a subscription model and really under understanding what people want to get from that. Um, so throughout the year, uh, what we've really found is a lot of people need certain documents, and something we found as well is that something that people hate doing is contacting HMRC and liaising with HMRC. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever tried calling HMRC, but there's always at least a half an hour wait. And yeah. then depending on who you talk to, you get slightly different responses. Uh, it's just something that people don't want to deal with. Uh, so that's something we think fits really well into a monthly subscription. So if you need to contact HMRC for something, um, as an example, like some people get a refund and it takes HMRC three, three months for, for them to pay out that refund because they got to do their anti-money laundering checks and... Um, a couple of other things that just take a lot of time. But the fastest way to then get that refund is just chasing up HMRC a lot, which takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of the other products, yeah, it's more really for people that just want to do a tax turn and then we'll see them next year. Uh, and it makes a lot more sense for them, for those people to pay for that service that they get and, uh, and then pay again when they need to pay for that again in the next year. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives 
increase the social media presence by 10x, they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Interesting. And, uh, you know, Enzo, when you were trying to capture the first 100,000 customers, who was your ideal customer? Was it like... Uh, the, the Uber driver, or was it uh, like an Etsy e-commerce owner? How did you uh, get to decide, you know, who's the right audience you want to go ahead, go ahead for? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, the thing that we really focused on early on were um, this kind of category that we call side hustlers. Okay. So people that are employed as well as self-employed. The main reason for that was... Um, in the UK, if you're just employed, you don't need to do a tax return. So yeah. you don't need to worry about it. As soon as you start earning self-employed earnings, it gets quite complicated because you don't just have to report on your self-employed earnings, but you also have to report on your employment income, okay. even though HMRC already knows most of that because uh, they get sent that by your employer. Yeah. So it, it's that group of people that we saw were probably most nervous about the tax returns. We're looking for... Um, a lot of supports. And we saw that that was a group of people that uh, weren't really targeted by anybody uh, yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started with them and uh, kind of a subcategory within that were creatives. So uh, we actually saw that a lot of Uber and, uh, drivers and delivery riders are quite uh, nifty financially. Uh, they, they still know quite a lot about um, what they should and should not be doing. Uh, where we saw actually where creatives whose, um, I guess, like thinking patterns are just not made sometimes for accounting rules uh, and just need a lot of supports doing it for them. Uh, we mm-hmm. saw uh, most success with that group. Mm. Super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, um, Erner has been, uh, has been invested by Seven Person Ventures uh, along with Antler and HLAS. We had Fabrice Kenda, who came on the podcast at episode number 138, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, you're also part of London Business School Incubator Startup Cohort. So how did you you know, get to convince some of some really high-quality investors? I'm a big fan of Fabrice uh, and FJ Labs uh, uh, to come and participate in these rounds. Uh, what are some of the advice would you want to give to uh, listeners who are looking to you know, raise funding for the, for the venture? Uh, I think... What is important to any fundraiser is the story always. Mm. So why does it make sense what we're doing? And is it is there really going to be this big change that's happening in the next 10 years? Um, we're definitely not the first startup that is trying to do what we're doing. We yeah. definitely won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of this, I think what really resonated with a lot of our investors was um, that the accounting industry is something that is re- based on rules and any system that is based on rules can be automated. Uh, The main reason why it's not automated as much is uh, the way we see it is that one, no company has really tried to do it. And uh, the other is that there is this inherent value that people get from having a relationship with their accountants, this Mm. thing that's kind of built on trust really. And, um, that's probably been true for a very long time, but now again with millennials and Gen Z, we kind of see it in banking where you don't really have your 
banker at the local branch that you know and they know you and they help you with all your finances like that's now all done by chat cool. if that can be done with a relationship like banking why can that not be done with a relationship like accounting um and as long as you kind of are able to to do better than an accountant um and still have some of that relationship and that trust like that's really important building that trust then you can really uh kind of flip over like a whole industry um an industry that has not seen a lot of innovation in a very very long time um because most things are still done by people in the, in the accounting industry like a lot of people are accountants in the uk right. um so i think i think one part is that story and and the second part is just having a kickass team to do that with um right. So uh, me and my co-founder, Anil, uh, we have a lot of experience building startups. Um, so Anil has been a software engineer for the last 17 years, he used to work at places like NVIDIA and Philips, but also been head of engineering across three different startups. So uh, I think we kind of give a little bit of, of, of um, yeah, showing that expertise that we, can't, we know what we're talking about. We've worked in industry. I've again, previously worked at Metal. So I've had some experience like working with self-employed individuals and working in a highly regulated environment, uh, which is banking. And uh, yeah, around us, surround ourselves with some really great early employees. And I think um, that's what's convinced them. Because like I said, there, there are loads of other yeah. you know, startups that are trying to do something similar or slightly different. It's just, why are you the one that's going to make it? And mm. uh I think often that goes to the story, how you're thinking about it, and the team. Interesting. Uh, you, you you talked about having having great team and great uh, early employees. Now, how, how do how do you approach uh, hiring, especially for for a for such a small startup? You know, um, uh, uh, how was the interviewing process for hiring? You know, high quality talent who could join you. Yeah, I I, uh, I think that something that really sets us apart. I don't know how other startups do it, but it works really well for us. It's hire really fast. Mm. <laughs> so um, we normally try to give out an offer within like, a couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, ideally, if we can do it within a week, even better. Um, and just have quite short interviews and try and assess it from there. Like, I think it's like hiring is really difficult um, right. and it's, I think that I saw stats somewhere that interviewing um, is often seen as the the worst kind of way to to pick the right candidates because <laughs> you have so many like biases that that flow cool. into the interview process. Um, so we kind of put, try and put some filtering on it um, at the beginning at the CV stage. Then it's all about. Can they communicate well? Do they have that drive? And do they have some level of expertise? Are they a good culture fits? And then try and hire them as soon as possible, get them started because that will learn the most in the first months uh, that we can ever learn in any amount of interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, at the beginning, we mainly hired people we already knew. Okay. So the, the co-founders had worked with in the past because we basically shortcut it that whole, like what happens after you, <laughs> after you hire them. Um, but now we're getting to a stage where we've run out of people to, to hire that we already hire know. <laughs> uh, and, and what's worked really well for us is, is yeah, hire really fast. Uh, and also if it doesn't work out, let people go. Let people go. Interesting. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails 
minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, you know, you know, you've been the CEO uh, for close around two years. How do you define your 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 style of leadership, and how's how's it changed over time uh, since you started on? Um, it's a good question. So, my background uh, in startups has been as a chief staff. So I was kind of a jack of all trades, um, and I think I did a lot of like doing. Really, so and I think that's translated into my uh, style as a CEO. I like to lead from the back, as I always like to say. So, um, kind of getting a lot of stuff done, doing the work alongside everybody, and um, kind of pushing people forwards in that regards. Um, being very meticulous uh, about the quality of work and getting things done. Um, I think what I've learned though in the last two years is. That works really well early in the beginning, but as your startup grows, you have to be a lot more, I think, out there in terms of the vision, making sure that you're reminding people almost every single day why we're here, um, not taking that for granted, communicating that over and over again, and making sure that people stay passionate uh, about what you're doing. Because working at a startup is really hard. Yeah, it's it it's. <laughs> It's definitely not easy. I think uh, people sometimes underestimate how hard it really is. And staying motivated is, uh, I think, a key thing that you need to keep on uh, staying on top of. And I think as well as what I see more and more important in my day-to-day. Interesting. And and especially, you know, um, you're responsible for, for marketing, business development, uh, product. But how do you, how do you approach uh, product reviews and you know how do you how do you set the agenda with the engineering team on what 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 comes first and what is urgent versus important? Yeah, it's a good question because um, we've tried a couple of different things. The thing that we're now working on is um, uh, OKRs, so mm-hmm. objectives and key results. Uh, question is like, are we maybe doing it slightly too early because we're still quite a small team? Um, definitely are working towards product market fit still uh but have seen some some amazing first results uh so trying to flex the okrs to be really focused on what we're doing each quarter uh we still have a weekly uh business review as well okay. so kind of a w wbr i've kind of used it in multiple bis- other businesses and it's i found it's very successful in terms of um getting people to feel responsible, accountable for the metrics and um, getting focused on the things that really matter rather than those kind of things that don't really have an impact on the key metrics that you're trying to solve. So making sure we have um, a really strong focus on that. I think it's a combination of those two. So the WBR gives us the focus on week, week-to-week metrics and making sure we're dri- always driving our North Star metric forwards. And the OKRs kind of give us uh, an angle where we focus on the key thing we're trying to move this quarter. Uh, and that can be a little bit more specific than our North Star metric and the metrics we cover in WBR. 
Interesting. And, uh, you know, you've been uh, in the strategy or, you know, as a chief of staff role in, at Metal Bow uh, and Loot. Uh, what, what, what's been some of, the, some of your biggest lessons when it comes to leaders who are trying to get most out of their, you know, product teams and the strategy team? And how do they communicate in order to ensure that, you know, the vision and mission is aligned? Uh, uh, let me think. I think what's really important in terms of good ways of working with a diverse team is making sure everybody is involved in each part of building the products. So um, engineering is just as much responsible for building the right products as, let's say, product manager. Um, and building in that understanding is key. So I think is something that's really true in a tax product. The way, uh, the way that we built a product is really dependent on knowing the tax rules and understanding how a customer would kind of use earner day to day. Uh, not knowing that can lead to a lot of um, kind of mistakes in how we build certain things and can lead to kind of longer, longer times to get new features done. Uh, so making sure that everybody really understands the different tax processes, understand different rules, uh, I think speeds things up. And best way to really learn that is do lots of customer interviews, try and understand why they're struggling and making sure that the whole team is involved in that. So uh, engineering, as well as product manager, as well as marketing, every, everybody should really know and understand the challenges that our customers are facing and understand what the most important things is that we're solving. Um, to bring that back to like the second part of your question is how, how does that kind of fit with things that I've learned at Bowen Metal um, and the likes of Loot? I think it's, it's again, key to, to make sure that you talk about that every single day. Uh, you, people forget very often because when you're in the day-to-day, -day, right, you are so focused on very specific problems, a very specific thing that isn't working as an example in the app and getting a reminder of like, yeah, but what does it really matter? Is these are the thing that we're doing for our customers? Is that little problem that you're focusing on for the last like two weeks, is that moving the needle on that? Because that's what we're doing here. Uh, and having a constant reminder and finding creative ways of how to remind people and creative ways that it, it still keeps them being interesting um, is, yeah, something that I think is quite important if you want to succeed. Got it. And, and do you, uh, you know, advise the founders, uh, on when should they give up on a, on a new product versus when to keep iterating and persisting uh, on, on the product feature? Mm. My personal view is that uh, there's probably an amazing product in anything that you build. You just have to pivot enough times to find it. Uh, and you need to have enough time to make all those pivots to get to the, the thing that actually works. Uh, so I don't think you should ever give up on what you're doing. Just learn from each iteration learn what's working, what's not working. And that's really hard. Like really understanding what parts of the product your customers like and don't like, and then focusing more on the things that your customers like. Um, I really like the, I think there's a Medium article that's flying around from the, uh, from the guys at Superhuman. 
that did their product market fits survey every week and only focus on those people that were loving the products and liked using it and just focus on them. Understand why they love the product so much and see if you can get the people that aren't getting to that stage to the, the same spot. Interesting. We, we had uh, Vivek Sodera from Superhuman who came on the podcast. Uh, at, uh, I still know when AD will put that in the show notes. Uh, it was, was like a product strategy lesson for me. Uh, but yeah, no, happy to uh, uh, dive into the top three. What's your favorite uh, business book? Uh, Shoe Dog. Uh, it's about Nike. I thought Phil Knight's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I love that book. I'll put that in the show notes. And um, so if you could go back in time when you started, uh, on a, what is the one thing you were focused on or done anything differently? Uh, I think something I maybe would have focused on earlier was uh, UX research. So um, we obviously done a lot of research, but you kind of move on quite quickly. I would have made sure that was a constant thing that we kept on doing every week. Oh, interesting. And do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, I'm a really big fan of Figma, uh, especially now that they introduced FigJam, which is kind of like Miro, um, kind of everything I need now. <laughs> Interesting. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, in the world of the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Donald. Uh, if you want to know more about Earner uh, or try the app, you can find us at www.earner.co.uk. Uh, if they want to reach me, the best way is just go on my LinkedIn, uh, send me a message. I uh, respond best if the message is around a very specific question. Um, if it's something vague, then it might take a little while. <laughs> Got it. Makes sense. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and so thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. All right. Thank you very much, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.